We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. What's up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. And this episode is brought to you by Untuckit. But, Jack, how are we feeling? Yeah, not the best, Nick. Obviously, it's not the best performance that the Nets have had. But, you know, it's good to see Kyrie Irving continue to do his thing. Um, but, the, you know, the Utah Jazz are just uh, probably one of the best teams in the NBA right now. So, you know, too many lapses. And when you don't have your good players playing at a, at a decent enough level, you're not going to get the W. Yeah, the Nets suffered a loss at home to Utah, 118 to 107. And like you mentioned, a lot of guys didn't step up. Before we get into it, quick reminder, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. Jack, in your eyes, what was the biggest issue in this game? I think for the, for me, Nick, is just that your second and third best players have to, you know, you, you when you see, you look at the starters for the Utah Jazz, Bogdanovich, 18 points, Ingles, 27 points, Gobert, 22, Mitchell, 25, you know, Royce O'Neal is just there to be a defensive guy. And when you look at the starters for the Nets, you've got Prince with six, Allen with eight, Kyrie with 32, uh, Dinwiddie with 17 was okay, Joe Harris got things going a little bit more with 13, but then, you know, Carol Severta and the bench guys w- were okay in spurts, but... I just thought our best players, other than Kyrie Irving, didn't play well enough. Spencer Dinwiddie left it a little bit too late. Now, I thought I thought there was some defensive miscues from both of those guys, especially Levert. I thought there needed to be more minutes from from Rodion's Kurutz. You know, the Nets weren't able to get enough stops. You know, they were able to hit the buckets because you know Kyrie Irving goes 12 or 19 from the field, three or five for three, gets to the line six times. He can only do so much, and it just reminded me a little bit in spurts of just some of the early season Nets performances, where you know the offense was looking okay, but then defensively we just lost that identity again. 
Yeah, scoring 107 on the Jazz is not bad. You know, that's still a good defensive team. And like you mentioned, they've been cooking this season. But 118 just felt like from the start they weren't making those small plays, those hustle plays that you need to make. And you mentioned defensively, I didn't think Karras was great. I didn't think Spencer was great. You know, Kyrie was maybe better than both of them because he was at least pressuring the, the ball handler. But overall, there was just too much space for Utah to operate offensively. They felt comfortable the entire game. And it felt like every Utah ball handler destroyed the Nets in pick and roll. Essentially, and and I think that a lot of that was you know we talked about it a little bit before we jumped on is that you know DJ probably you don't want to see him have as many minutes as Jared Allen despite the fact that his box score look, looks a lot nice I thought offensively DJ looked quite aggressive you know I think tonight he was better offensively but when it comes to your centers I want him to be better on the defensive end and when we needed those defensive stops Jared Allen out there would a little bit would have been a little bit handier you know he had not the best game you know especially when it came to the boards only two rebounds did have a diamond did have probably one of the the best i mean it seems like every game Jar- jared allen has an, an amazing block but you know that sequence of him blocking go bear and then getting on the other end of the floor for the dunk was one of the the highlights of the night but he needs to probably have you know 28 minutes and dj maybe about 20 minutes but you know it, there were just a, a confluence of things that just led to the lost nick you know the nets hung around they couldn't really get it past nine points after the half i think the end of that second quarter when they went on like an 8-0 run to extend it to 14 that's a essentially where the game was lost. Yeah, and I think overall defensively, not only just the pick and roll in terms of attacking DeAndre and the guards, I thought the rotations weren't great. There were so many times where, you know, they got beat and Gobert slipped to the rim and there just was nobody in sight to help their team out. You know, I mean, I know Utah has some good three-point shooters in Bogdanovich and Ingles, but still, you have to make the rotations to try to force them to make that extra pass or at least do something because at times it was just so easy for them to either hit Gobert or just hit that floater right in front of the rim. Yeah, uh, you can't give any team space in any sort of capacity, but you know the the Jazz were able to execute their game plan for yep. the most part, especially in in the in the first half. I think the Nets only took like nine three pointers. End of the Correct. game, eight of twenty eight of twenty six from the field. You know, thirty one percent, not amazing, but um, the, and the Utah Jazz, I think, were were quite hot in that first half. I think they took about twenty two and hit nine of them. They ended thirteen of thirty six. So you know, the Nets were playing a, a style of basketball that the Nets that the, the Jazz were playing a style of basketball that the Nets like to play. I did like early adjustments from the Brooklyn Nets, you know, taking some mid-rangers because, you know, Rudy Gobert's down there. He's an absolute force, one of the, the better defensive players that we've, you know, maybe ever seen in, in the modern age, especially at that center position. Um, but I, I think when he wasn't out there, the Nets did attack, but I think they still settled a little bit at times. I thought that they could have got the ball moving a little bit more to get some open threes. Uh, but at the end of the day, this Utah Jazz team, when they're locked in, um, they're one of the best teams in the NBA, and they've been playing some incredible basketball. But uh, I, I didn't expect the Nets to win this one, Nick. But when you have that opportunity and, and you don't execute in the, in the right moments, um, it, then it's a little bit frustrating. But you know, overall, I, I thought that you know this is one of those losses that aren't as frustrating as like you know the Knicks one, the Phoenix one, and a plethora of those other performances. But there were still some things that you can take and learn from on both ends of the floor that were good and bad. Yeah, I think you lose to a great team. You don't really feel terrible, especially when you don't put up a good performance. It's going to happen. But you mentioned, you know, the Jazz kind of played how the Nets play offensively. And defensively, I felt like they did the same thing. Obviously, they have an elite rim protector as good as you can get in Rudy Gobert. The Nets kind of settled for those mid-range shots. They kind of got too in love with that, hurt their ball movement a little bit. And then the offense was just kind of out of sync. And then a lot of it was just Kyrie making plays for himself and for others. Yeah, and I think that... You know, the, it would have been nice to see 
you know, you could see Kyrie was pushing the pace at times to try yep. and get to the rim before Rudy Gobert was back there. You know, found some guys in the open quarter, really liked that. That lovely left left hand pass to Joe Harris was was scintillating. And you know, his line tonight, he was he, he was just outstanding again. Thirty two points, you know, eleven assists, had a block which was awesome, two seals as well. So we, we talked about his defense, got on the offensive boards as well. Thirty two, eleven and five. He stuffed the stat sheet. Twelve of third, twelve of nineteen from the field, three of five from three, five of six from the line. Nick, in terms of obviously it was an amazing performance from Kyrie, but were you surprised to see him play over 30 minutes? I mean, I'm just completely impressed with the way he's playing in general. I mean, like the Atlanta game, some of it's like the Hawks are like, okay, whatever. You know, he's a really good player. He's probably riding adrenaline. But tonight, to play at, you know, an all-star level, all-NBA level, 32 points, 12 and 19, 11 assists, I'm shocked. So I guess like I can't be as shocked about the minutes because he looks so good and he looks so spry. You wouldn't think he missed time the way he's playing on the court. He looks fully locked in and in sync. It's incredible. Yeah, at the end of the day, you know, superstars do superstar things. And he is uh, an absolute bona fide superstar. And without him tonight, the Nets would have lost by 25, 30 yep. points. There's no doubt without that. He was lifting himself. He was getting his own shots. And then he was lifting his team, getting them open shots. He was doing everything, absolutely everything on, on both ends of the floor. It seemed at times he was he was super he was absolutely super and uh, with a capital S. But yeah, I, I think that you know it's it's worth analyzing the fact that you know we see these minutes limits for for Carol Savert and other guys coming back from injury. But is it purely because of the fact, Nick, that Kyrie Irving has that status that you just let him, you know, judge his body? I know Kenny before the game said that the plan is to play him on the back to back against Philly tomorrow but we'll also uh, take a look at him and bumps and bruises. Didn't seem to really get um, too many of those. I mean, there was some hard falls to the ground at times. He did get put in the pick and roll a lot, but I think he was able to avoid a lot of contact and did get on his left shoulder more than his right. So I think he was clever about that. But yeah, it seems to me that Kyrie is all, almost you know above you know the, the sort of load management and is, is being able to dictate it on his own terms to an extent. Yeah, I think also just being an older player, you know, being a veteran, having the experience in the league. And like you said, being a star, you're going to have a little bit more say than somebody like Karis Avert and somebody who's dealt with injuries before. And you kind of have a better feel for Kyrie in the sense, or well, the Nets have a better feel for Kyrie that he's not really going to rush himself back from an injury and try to hurt himself because he understands how valuable this season is and being on the court. So I think younger players at times could rush themselves back, just want to get back out there. I think Kyrie you can trust him to have more of a long-term approach. Even though he's still the player, I think he's a smart guy. Yeah, I think he's he's smart and, and you've got to trust him. You know, you don't want the, the same thing to necessarily happen um, when he did, you know, get the shoulder impingement against New Orleans and continue to play through it all the way until that Denver game. And, you know, you could sort of notice it. But he looks fluid right now. I, I did a breakdown of his game, you know, the, the 10 of 11 performance the other night. Um, his three still doesn't look as slick and as smooth and with as a, a pretty of an arc, but he's hitting it. You know, uh, and I think that's the the best thing that you can you can hope for. So, you know, it's a game by game proposition from him, Nick. And I guess we'll go through some of the other players. You know, Spencer Dimwitty. I thought his second half was was a bit more aggressive. I, I preferred that. You know, still an okay performance from 17 points and five assists. A bit, a few too many turnovers though. And again, he just. I will emphasize this till the day I die. <laughs> when him and Kyrie are out there, and Kyrie feeds him off the catch for a three. He is just so much better. He just, and you've mentioned as well, Nick, his mechanics, his footwork just don't look good on a pull-up. He's not Kyrie Irving. He's not Trey Young. He's not Damian Lillard. So keep shooting the catch-and-shoot three, Spence. We don't need you to take those pull-ups. It's just not good offense. 
Yeah, no, the pull-up threes aren't it. And, you know, you mentioned the four turnovers that stuck out. But I feel like he had that stretch in this game where you're like, okay, Spencer, why don't you just do that all the time? He got to the right side of the floor, worked the pick and roll. They kind of cleared out for him. And the defender was just put in such a tough spot because he can go directly at the rim or he can use glass or he can use that tricky uh, scoop layup. And sometimes I also think it's about Spencer. And we saw it, you know, we saw his moves a little bit. I want to say it was in the second quarter against um, against uh, Niang. And he didn't need the pick. He just went straight at him and used his own handles. And I think at times Spencer doesn't need the pick. He can just attack the guy. And it makes it a little bit easier for the offense in terms of spacing. And the center has to come over and attack him instead of already having position that pick and roll. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's just one of those frustrating sort of things that you you want the adjustments. But again, you know, Utah are, are an incredible defensive team. And over their winning stretch have been the best offensive team in the NBA as well. So, you know, you can only do so much against a, a highly capable squad. And, you know, Jordan Clarkson's added a, lot to, added a lot to them as well. He was really effective for them off the bench. Ever seen Ontuck button down? They look bad. Why? Because they weren't meant to be worn that way. Thankfully, there's Untucket, the original button-down shirt actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, Untucket shirts always fit at the perfect Untuck length. With more than 50 fit combinations, Untucket shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages, myself included. Being 6'3", it's extremely difficult to find shirts that fit right. Untucket makes it easy. They also have a ton of styles to choose from, wrinkle-free button-downs, super soft flannels, outerwear, and more. With Untucket shirts, you'll never look baggy, too long, or too big again. And their website's easy to use. They even have a whole page devoted to helping you find your fit. So whether you're shopping for the perfect gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untucket is the way to go. Visit Untucket.com and use code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's Untucket.com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. Nick. I'll put this to you. Rodion's court needs to be playing at least 20 minutes a night. Yeah, I think the Nets really need his defense and his length and his tenacity. And just the fact he annoys the other team makes makes you just feel him out there. And I think especially playing so many offensive-minded players and sometimes some liabilities out there, not to say Rodion's this elite defensive player, but I think you can get good minutes from him and he can at least create some pesky plays that leads to a steal, a tip, whatever it might be. And I think the Nets really lack those hustle plays. And really, if you look through the rotation, where else are you going to get those hustle plays other than Rodion's and TLC? Yeah, and and I thought, you know, TLC was, was fine tonight. He was amazing. Um, he was a minus 14. Um, but at the same time, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie was minus 13 and Jared Allen was minus 13 as well. So for me, yeah, uh, you, you need, and I think that those guys provide a, a different avenue, a different balance to, to the lineups, you know. And, and, you know, Rodians has started for us, you know, in, in spurts over this sort of mini stretch. So I would love to see him in the starting lineup, but, you know, there's a, a certain bias from us that's coming in. I know, you know, Torian Prince has just, earned this reputation within the Nets organization, but he's just not playing well enough to continue to be a starter. And I mean, even if it's Joe Harris off the bench, I know Joe will probably take it a lot better. He probably doesn't have, you know, the, the sort of ego. And maybe that's just me sort of, you know, being a bit subjective with that. But, you know, Rodion's only playing 16 minutes a night just isn't enough. And he hit the three ball. He was four or six from the field. He had five boards and he had nine points. You know, in terms of when you're comparing him to Torian Prince, he had him in every single statistical category except for the dimes. And, you know, Rodion's was still making good decisions. And I think I've, I've put this out there. Of late, 
he's just making the right plays all the time and he's he's showing energy it's just you know we're seeing a, a progression from him within the minutes that he is playing it's, he's playing like a true NBA basketballer last season was just like flashes and, and rookie highlights and then you would see some silly and dumb mistakes but he hasn't been doing that you know he deserves to be playing more I think one thing he provides the offense and it lacks is off-ball movement. Cutting to the rim, sometimes on the oops. You saw Spencer hit him on like underneath when DeAndre was right there tonight too. And I think that could provide some real value, especially when there's so much ball watching. When you have guys like Kyrie Irving, the defense can't help but look at him. So just having a guy like Rodion's out there finding a way to cut to the rim, I think will be really effective. And I kind of mentioned to you, I think there needs to be some lineup changes. Obviously, Kenny's still messing with the rotation. He just got his team, you know, healthy other than KD a few days ago. So I think there needs to be kind of a balance and maybe find a little bit more defense, a little bit more length in these lineups because it just seems like they consistently get exposed the same way. It reminds me, like you mentioned early to earlier in the season, and defensively they had their issues offensively they could cook but it's like we can combine the two teams we've so, so seen so far this year yeah i mean if the nets can be an average defensive team rather than a bad defensive team and continue to show you know really good offense because when you have a superstar like Kyrie irving you know it certainly makes things easier in the offensive end then they would be just a, a tremendously better team but they're just not and in, in that sense, Nick, you know, uh, the, the experimentation that we've sort of seen from Coach Kenny, I, I put it out a little bit before the game, you know, what I thought could happen and, and, and what I was sort of intrigued to see. You know, we saw Kyrie playing alongside Spencer and with the starters and Kyrie and Karras together. All three of them were together at times. Spencer and Karras were together at times. How long do you think Coach Kenny, you know, gives this, the, the, the different experimentation before he settles on, okay, this is our best team. This is our closing lineup because... You know, I think it's a very small sample size. You know, it's inc incredibly rash to already think that some people want to trade Spencer <laughs> and or Karras. But <laughs> at this point in time, the ideal Nets rotation still hasn't been figured out. Yeah, it hasn't. And I honestly don't think he'll stop experimenting until he finds the right rotation. You know, and I'm not saying, you know, every game there'll be slight adjustments here and there, but I don't think he's going to keep uh, stop doing it until he finds one that really works and feels like it uses the best skills of everybody. And I think it's going to be hard to do because there are some similar skill sets on this team. And like I mentioned, there's definitely more offensive firepower than there is defensive. So it's going to have to take a lot of experiments, but I think there can be a lineup combo out there that can really work for this team. And it doesn't have to be throughout the whole game, but I think they really just need to find one really, really good lineup that they know they can close games with that'll provide them the defense that they need, but also the offense that they have. Literally just saw this from Brian Lewis, Nick, um, scoring 20. Kenny Atkinson was curious after the game what Irving, Dinwiddie, and Levert plus minus was while on the court together. They were a plus two in eight minutes. Um, so, you know, there's a, a positive sign, at least somewhat. Um, I thought that we did look okay with all of them out there because when the offense did get bowled down, you know, you can dish it out to character, you can dish it out to Spencer, you can dish it to Kyrie, and you've got three guys that are, can capably create their own shot, um, and you need that against the Utah Jazz team who are incredible defensively. Yeah, I want to say a lot of those minutes came in the second quarter, and I want to say yeah. they were paired with Rodion's. I can't recall if it was Jared Allen or DeAndre Jordan. I but think it was yeah, I would not be opposed to that lineup because I think you have some length and some quickness with Rodion's and Jared Allen to clean up some of the mistakes you're going to get from Karras, Kyrie, and Spencer on the on-ball defense. So I'd like to see a little bit more of that. <clears throat> Excuse me. I don't know if that's the closing lineup that we need, but it could definitely be a positive lineup for the Nets if they can get things gelling because, like you mentioned, having three dynamic ball handlers that can create for themselves and others, tough to defend. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree with you on that, Nick. I think that um, that lineup to me looked to me, and I don't have the stats in front of me right now uh, either, but I like the, the look of that. You know, I, I think Jared Allen is our best center, and I think defensively, him and Rodions are probably two of our best defenders on the roster right now, at least in, in terms of when it comes to form. So in that sense, the imagination, you know, you've you got to look at all these different things as, as Coach Kenny was asking already. He wants to know how things are working with the lineups, with the different rotations. You know, I think that we, we see over this sort of mini stretch, uh, four or five games, and then we sort of go, all right, where do we go from here? What works? Um, again, Rodion's maybe starting, Torian Prince and, and Joe Harris being staggered. It'll be interesting to see because, you know, I know I advocated for Joe Harris getting a few more shots. He's been in a bit of a slump, I think shooting uh, about 32, 31% from three via Nolan Jensen um, over the, the past month. But, you know, mechanically he's fine and he's just getting some some bad closeouts and sometimes he's just not in the, in the flow of the offense sometimes. So I think it's just going to take a little bit of time on both ends of the floor for the Nets to figure this out. And, you know, coming in over this tough stretch is not ideal timing. Yes, we had, we saw the, the Atlanta Hawks split out, which was positive. But, you know, coming up against a Utah Jazz seasoned outfit, you know, a team that's really on the rise, you know, it's a completely different kettle of fish. And you judge it overall holistically, not the worst performance. Yeah, and I thought, uh, just talking about Joe, I thought Donovan Mitchell did a nice job of pushing him off the line. He didn't really make him comfortable. And obviously, he's going to be a little bit more athletic than Joe. So just having that closing speed just made it tough for him to get open on a lot of shots. And then by the time he did get open, he was a little bit out of sync because he wasn't involved in the offense. I think, you know, we talked about the lineup changing. And it's also the players utilizing other players on the court to help them. You know, I think Kyrie, Kara Spencer could do a better job of using Joe, whatever it may be, in the player of the action to get him an open shot. Or if he's not getting the open shot, use it to get yourself an open shot. Yeah, and, and in that sort of sense, the imagination, you know, I think early in the season, we talked about the fact that, you know, Kyrie needs to try and get the, the role guys going early, Toy and Prince and, and Kyrie Irving. And, you know, it worked against Atlanta. It's just that when you come up against better defenders and literally in that starting five, there isn't a, a weak link on, on the defensive end of the floor. Yes, Joe Ingles is, is sort of like our own Joe Harris, but, you know, he's fundamentally sound also and has some good size about him. So it, it's, it's always going to be tough, you know, being able to, you know, find shots against such incredible defenders and probably one of the best defensive teams we've seen over the past, you know, three or four years. But, Nick, before we close this one out, do we want to touch on uh, the ESPN article and, you know, obviously the takeaways from DeAndre Jordan, but the main takeaways uh, was Sean Marks saying that we're going to be a tax team. And that was echoed tonight in a mini glimpse of the interview we saw with Joseph Sy, who said he's totally comfortable uh, with the Nets being a tax team. I think this just, you know, I personally thought they were always going to be willing to be a tax team. You don't sign Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving unless you're willing to be a tax team. But just to hear it kind of gives everyone some confirmation that, hey, this is going to happen. We're going to spend money. And I think this should probably make you feel better because Joe Harris is more likely to stay with the Nets now. Yes, please. Yes, please. Yes, please. Yes, please. And I mean, it, it would be silly to let him go. And, you know, when you are a championship contender, you know, the good teams will pay the luxury tax. You know, one thing that Dan Gilbert probably maybe doesn't get enough credit for is that during those LeBron seasons, when they were a competitive and championship team, would constantly pay the luxury tax. And it paid off. They did get a championship out of it. And even if the Nets don't get a championship out of this, if they're a contender, it's you need to, you know, continue to put yourself in the position to be a championship worthy team by investing in your roster where it really matters on the margins is where it really matters when you have two superstars 
Hopefully KD is healthy as well sooner rather than later. We've got plenty of speculation about that that we could touch on too. Probably not going to be able to get all of it because, and, and for those that haven't read it, just go to uh, ESPN.com, a nice little piece from Malik Andrews and on DeAndre Jordan. And obviously certainly uh, endears you to him and, and, and his presence within the locker room as well. And I think another thing where, hey, you know, people are like, he's spending all this money retaining players. Not only does it allow you to retain these players, but it gives you contracts you can trade. Because if you don't do these moves, you're just filled with a whole bunch of minimum contracts and you really can't make any moves. It's kind of like similar to how the Nets, you know, roster is this season. Next year, we're going to see a lot of uh, extensions kick in. So there's a lot more opportunities to get flexible with the roster. So I think it, what it does, it just allows you to be successful and allows you to have flexibility to make that contender if you're not quite there yet. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Nick, let me throw some wild, dumb speculation at you. There, there is a, a South by Southwest event uh, via the boardroom guys. So Rich Kleiman, you know, the business manager of Kevin Durant and Jay Williams, uh, also part of the sort of boardroom initiative. Kevin Durant's not going to be there and it is March 13 to 22. Does this mean that we are guaranteed a Kevin Durant return in mid to late March? You know, Jack, this locks it in. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, uh, obviously, it, there is an opportunity that Kevin Durant could play during that time. I don't know if it's connected in any way whatsoever, but hey, the opportunity is there. Fans are going to find every single possible detail to make them believe that KD's going to play this season. And I don't blame them because obviously it's exciting to have an all-time great on your team and just the level he could raise his team to where we talked about them being a really good offensive team and they don't even have Kevin Durant. I don't know what their offense will look like when they add one of the best offensive players ever to step on a court to their team. I mean, we've seen a, a glimpse of it with Kyrie Irving as the number two guy. I in, thought you were going to say we saw a glimpse of it with the Golden State Warriors. <laughs> I mean, yeah, to an extent as well. I mean, both teams are just absolutely historic. And if we see Kevin around with that, that, that healthy Achilles tendon come back sooner rather than later. And, you know, to our guys at the Glue guys as well, you know, they're good friends of the show. Um, they posted the video of Kevin around coming in hot with uh, on the golf cart, accelerating with his torn right Achilles. So... Hint, hint, maybe uh, he's got a little bit more strength there than we thought. I want to say this. I think KD is pretty close to being done with his rehab in the sense that his Achilles is recovering. Now it's just trying to get it up to a superstar level and, you know, professional athlete level, which is not easy to do. If he was a normal person, I think his Achilles has probably recovered by now and he could do normal things, but he wants to be back to being an NBA level superstar. So that rehab process almost is just beginning because, yeah, he's strengthening the Achilles and getting back to normal activities. Now he needs to get to superstar activities. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, again, there was so many different quotes we could talk about on the DeAndre Jordan piece as well. We might have to say that for another episode. But, you know, there's still light in the darkness for whenever there's a Nets loss, guys. It's one game at a time, still 18 and 21, still, you know, in the playoff race. You know, the Nets aren't going to be world beaters this year unless, you know, again, that uh, Kevin Durant does come back in March and he doesn't head to South by Southwest. Uh, so we'll ha we will wait and see. But, I heard that's uh, a really but, fun event, by the way. I heard oh, that's yeah. like a really crazy event. I know someone who went there, I think, two years ago and they said it was just amazing, like just complete fun. I, I, there's plenty of American sort of festivals that, that I've got on my bucket list. You know, I've been uh, the basic white bitch and been able to do Coachella <laughs> before uh, with, my, with my flower crown and, and the glitter on my face when I was 20, my first ever international experience. Love to do South by South. That's a, good, that's a good experience. I know a lot of us Americans have never been to Coachella because it's so expensive or hard to get to. So props to you, Australian. <laughs> yeah, I mean, nine years ago. So it was probably before it popped off to a, a little bit, but 
you know, the focus right now, I guess, Nick, is the sixes. And, you know, I, I think the Nets are within a shot. But, you know, I, I always dislike when a team is coming off a loss and there's a lot of media speculation on them. I think the sixes are going to be motivated and the Nets are going to have to be really switched on because it's not going to be as easy as it was last time to get the W. Yeah, and I think they're just going to have to pick up on the small details. Against a team like Philadelphia, transition defense is extremely important with Ben Simmons, especially especially with Embiid still being out, and then rebounding. Like, they still have big bodies without Embiid. You need to make sure you take care of that. And kind of just don't fall asleep on anybody because they're going to be playing some rotation guys that they might not necessarily play because of a few injuries they have. I think the Nets need to come locked in. I think we saw enough flashes, though, tonight from them where they could win the game tomorrow. Yeah, and we'll wait and see. Time will tell, but... Um, not all doom and gloom in Nets land. Yeah, and I want to just say one more final thought is like, as annoying as this sounds, this team still is far from finding its chemistry or rotations because essentially they have not been fully healthy and they got 13 games early in the season. Now it's still a feeling out process. Now it almost has to reset because they didn't play together for 20 plus games and it was almost a different team for the last two months. Now it's about finding this team and the best lineups for this team and the best activities for this team. And it's going to take a little time. Yeah, you got to develop, a, a, in in a sense, a new identity on, on both ends of the floor yet again. And, I mean, it, you'd rather be going through these sort of, you know, working issues than not having you, you guys out there and having Spencer and Musa playing, I mean, Spencer leading the team and then Musa playing minutes and Pinson playing minutes. But hopefully they figure it out, Nick, and, and hopefully it happens sooner rather than later. But uh, we'll, we'll be enjoying the ride at least. 100%. As always, big thanks, Jack, for hopping on and talking Nets with me. And big thanks, everybody, for listening. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.